This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Thank you. Anna is, thank you, Anna, for inviting me to speak tonight. And Paul, my teacher, thank you very much for all of your guidance in these years. Um, thank you all of you for being here online and in person. It's so nice to see this room full and there are many new faces here. Welcome. Um, we just came out of Sashin and uh, this is the first Dharma talk um, following the interim. Um, a regular schedule will begin tomorrow. Um, and uh, and so it's an interesting time for me to give a Dharma talk. I wanted to speak tonight about um, a moment that um, feels unspoken for, but that is very precious for me. And uh, felt very strong in Sashin, but um, I think I have um, held it close to me for a long time now. Um, and I recall as a young child uh, going to performances in a big theater, you know, with those big velvet curtains that take a long time to go up. Um, <clears throat> and I don't remember the performances as much as I do that time when everyone's getting to their seats, you know, and musicians in the orchestra bit are, are practicing their instruments. Um, there's a, a um, not very loud chatter, but some chatter in the room and a rustle of everyone looking at their programs. And, and then the lights will dim for the audience and everyone kind of settles down a little bit and um, the instruments become quiet and the curtain starts to raise um, and the conductor raises their hands and is still and everything becomes very still as the lights turn on behind the curtains and this scene opens. Um, and there's something about that moment that um, is so uh, palpable in me in that um, it was a kind of attention that what that the whole room was involved in, and that the um, and that didn't ha come with um, an expectation, you know, like it was so in and of itself that um, uh, that that's what I remember that um, the sense of being kind of wrapped in attention, um, and you're in it and it is big. Um, so as a child, that memory is, is strong for me. Um, understanding the, the, oh, now I hear myself. <laughs> okay, it, the mic just picked up. Um, understanding the value of this uh, unspoken for space in theater Shingon priest and artist Hirokatsu Kosaka 
began to stand off stage and shoot eight to 10 arrows across the stage um, before the performance began. And, and what he was wanting to do um, was to um, attenuate, sharpen, expand this moment of attention um, as a, um, as a, a, a form, you know, giving it a, giving it a form and making it vibrant and alive um, as the moment that it is uh, for the audience in the theater. So what I wanted to speak about today is um, what does it mean to hold the intention of others? Yeah. And in, in the history of entertainment, um, it's still familiar to us today that there's a, this guy maybe with a cane, uh, definitely a top hat who says, you know, um, ladies and gentlemen, may I now have your attention, please. Um, uh, and so there's also, you know, this sense of having attention. May I have your attention? Um, in the movie theater during that time, we're sold popcorn and previews. Um, and even the title for the movie has become an opportunity for branding. Um, so in the entertainment industry, um, uh, they have developed an attention economy that was prepared for in a way by this unspoken for moment, um, as though the monetizers saw it first. So in what Paul referred to as the magical theater of Zen, what's so magical about it? Um, is the question. There's um, often for me as well, a powerful stillness uh, in the moment before a Dharma talk begins. Um, and I wanna say to you today that in that space of silence, um, in that space of attention, um, that the moon is here, it's down here on the ground, um, and that you are the Dharma. This is my experience of that moment. In the beginning of the Anapanasati Sutta, there are two moments described um, that are similar to this opening moment. Um, looking over the silent community of monks, the Buddha addressed them, I will stay here for the retreat. So there's something in that silent community of monks that has called the Buddha, um, that Buddha felt or heard that calling in the silent community of monks and made a commitment to it. And then it says, monks from the countryside heard this and came to join the assembly in retreat. 
during this retreat, the monks had some insights and some realization. Um, and then they assembled again. And the Buddha looked over the silent community of monks and addressed them. Monks, the assembly is free of... So we have these two instances in which the Buddha is looking over the silent community of monks, distinctly marking a before and an after. Looking over the silent of community of monks, what is there in one stillness and what is there in another? The one that invites the Buddha to lead the assembly in Zazen and the one that declares the assembly's attention is now appropriate and clear. So the, in the first, the Buddha feels the pull of the assembly and responds to it. And in the second, in putting aside idle chatter, something has since occurred and the assembly has turned toward each other in their attentiveness. Um, only then is the assembly really ready to hear the teachings is the message of these um, two different relationships of silence in community and the attentiveness that is there. Um, so there's an appropriate attention that was not there before. And I've seen a statements like this in many other suttas where, um, you know, before the sutta can properly begin, it needs to be established that this assembly is, is um, beyond all argument, um, as are the teachings. In various practice settings, there's some stickiness around the notion of an unconditioned and bare attention. Um, it's expressed that there's always a need for appropriate attention. And in the example of the theater, conditioning is clearly evident. There's the dimming of the lights to cue everyone into silence, to shift attention to the stage. Even so, what stands out in my memory is the community of attention given over in a simple cue and surprisingly the lack of expectation in it. Um, so I'm kind of curious about um, what's, what's conditioned and what's unconditioned in the moment. Benisara Bhikkhu is quite clear that there's no such thing as bare attention. Attention is always conditioned, thoroughly conditioned. Um, and there's an important warning here. He writes, if you assume a conditioned event to be an unconditioned event, you actually close the door to the unconditioned. And so the Buddha's second look over the silent community of monks is saying something about the unconditioned nature of their attention now available to them after retreat in ways that it had not been before. This means that if Zen is a form of magical theater, as Paul expressed it, there's a sleight of hand in it. And this hand is guiding in that most of the time our attention is led by our ignorance. And in that, it is usually inappropriate. Were you ever as a child not to be so dramatic or theatrical? 
it's a way to draw attention to ourselves um, and even to manipulate others through that attention. So that would be an example of inappropriate attention. In the Zen world, there is inappropriate theatricality as much as there is magical theater. And so in that moment of a Dharma talk before anything is said, we are already conditioning an appropriate attention toward an unconditioned mind. There are specific conditions for our attention. First, it's important to say that the Buddhist teachings were for an assembly, as is a Dharma talk. They do not come from a book. There's something energetically important here about the role of attention within the assembly itself. Secondly, a very simple ritual context is a powerful thing. A word to describe what we now call a Dharma talk was first used in seventh century Chan. Usually it's a standalone event, um, but there are cases way back you know, in the Middle Ages um, in China where um, uh, a Dharma talk would have been given, for example, in the middle of our morning service, much in the way that a homily would be given in a Catholic church or a sermon in an Episcopalian church. Um, uh, so there's something about the Dharma talk being a standalone event um, And then, of course, you know, we have rituals that those of us who've been here for a while, not very long, become quickly accustomed to. We dress in a certain way for a Dharma talk. There's the dencho for the Dharma talk. We enter the room, make an offering. Um, everyone bows together. Um, the jisha brings the lectern. Um, the person who's speaking arranges their robes, um, all within a space of attention. Um, but an attention that is being um, uh, guided in ritual um, and made clear in that ritual. Um, So notably here in the chant itself are the words, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept, I vow to taste the truth of that Tagata's words. So my proposal is this, um, that having your own attention directly before you now, you are living that vow. It's not anywhere else. Um, so there's um, a shift that I'm going to describe that belongs to very much to our Zen tradition. And with this in mind, here's case 92 of the Blue Cliff Record. One day, the world-honored one ascended his seat. Manjushri struck the gavel and said, Clearly behold the Dharma of the King of Dharma. The Dharma of the King of Dharma is thus. 
the world honored one then got off his seat. That's it. The before and after here is that the world honored one got up and got down. Um, quite different than what I read to you from the Anapanasati Sutra. It was in seventh century Chan um, that, um, you know, there was a, a Chan was becoming a, a, its own Buddhist identity in, in China. Um, and that's when the word for the Dharma talk first appeared, um, which meant something like um, ascending the Dharma hall to deliver a sermon. And in this Chinese tradition emerged a manner of redefining traditional Buddhist concepts in playful ways. And this is something that uh, people who are familiar with Dogen are, are enjoy, but also are quite confounded by, you know, this kind of um, turning of phrases upside down and creating metaphors that um, uh, uh, will shift and tumble our understanding of, of basic um, concepts in, in Zen, um, in Buddhism, from the Buddhist teachings up to the present moment. Um, and in this playfulness, um, there was an invitation for theatrics as well with shouts and hits and circumambulations. Um, there have been times in the history of Buddhism where um, uh, there was much criticism for the fad of these theatrics, um, uh, that so many shouts and blows had become theatrical. Uh, and um, empty, appealing more as entertainment than as dharma. So even in the context of um, the playfulness of our tradition, uh, there's been the very near danger of a theatricality that is veered a little bit you know, too close into the um, world event of what we now refer to as entertainment. Um, and this koan that I've read to you is only one of many descents from the Dharma seat. Um, it's actually a quite conventional koan um, by the time that it appears. There are, are many ones that have, you know, slightly different variables, um, uh, but there are, uh, as I said, um, several of them. I like this one, though, for its um, simplicity. Um, and because um, you know it, it does um, hold something that's close to what we chant every day, you know, clearly behold the Dharma. You know, now we see it, hear it, and maintain it. The Dharma of the King of Dharma is thus. Um, that's the whole koan. In this particular translation. Um, The language is clearly behold. Um, and it's this word behold that I'm drawn to in this translation. Um, it's the word behold that um, uh, exemplifies for me that feeling of being a child in the theater um, as the um, lights start to dim and the conductor raises their hands and the curtain heavily, um, but gently and slowly is rising. 
behold. Related to behold is the word beholden. Um, these, these are not poly words. These are, you know, uh, basic uh, words, a little bit outdated for us, um, coming from a spiritual language that um, uh, has been eclipsed by a more secular modern world, um, but still in use. Um, beholden is a word that was generated from the word behold. And it means to be held by in the sense of um, indebted to, you know, uh, like uh, held by in the sense that um, what I mean by it is um, that we are at beholden to each other. So I feel in this moment before the Dharma talk, um, there's a beholdenness among ourselves in that beholding. And the commentary at the end of this koan if you can immediately and directly attain fulfillment, then you will see that there is no longer anything ordinary or holy. This Dharma is equanimous. It has no high or low. Every day you will walk hand in hand with all of the Buddhas. For me, that feeling of walking hand in hand with all of the Buddhas is the beholdenness um, in which the Dharma is you. Um, and it's that moment um, before the Dharma talk where I felt that quite powerfully. And I can say that after a session in our beholding, we are held and beholden, it's palpable. And that in the moment before the Dharma talk in our beholding, we are held and beholden. Um, and so I wanna speak to, yes, there's a before and after, and yes, there is just this. Just in this moment, there's a healing attention and it can brim with compassion and treasuring the way. Um, with this in mind, I'd like to close with a koan um, from Michael Wenger's 49 Fingers, a collection of modern American koans. It's a response um, in this talk to the um, example I gave of Hirokatsu Kosaka's shooting of arrows across the stage during this unspoken for moment. Um, a moment that um, I now say uh, that in Zen, um, it has been spoken for long before the attention economy. And so in shooting of arrows across the skate stage during this moment, attenuating the attention of the audience in a sympathetic and methodical concentration, um, I hold beside it as well this. 
Hobenshino was at Esalen with Shibata Sensei, his Kyoto teacher. Shibata Sensei shot at a target and then handed the bow to Koben, inviting him to show his skill. Koben took the arrow and bow, turned, and with complete attention and care, shot the arrow into the ocean. And when it hit the water, he said, Bullseye! Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.